Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Howdy, everyone. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. If it's your first time, we are double welcoming you, I guess. We should double welcome everybody. I didn't know how I was going to finish that phrase. Yeah, (laughs) sort of exciting for a second. Uh, We move through the scriptures. We follow the Come Follow Me schedule, and we talk about different things that that, um, we think that you don't want to miss. Try to share teaching tips. Um, both as we teach and application questions, and then also in our newsletter and app, we try to do that. So um, welcome, if it's your first time, to everybody else. Double welcome also. Um, we are in an exciting part of the Bible. We just had Easter last week, Yeah. right? It would have been, we're recording before Easter, FYI. <laughs> and so it's like, uh, we're kind of back to the future right now. But hope you had a great Easter, and we're jumping in to continue the story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And this is all still new to them, you know, to have been slaves for 400 plus years. Yeah, it's all they know. Right. And then dramatically, like, saved and freed and rescued. Like, not just like, it wasn't this like buildup or anything like that. It was like all of a sudden one day it was like, there were frogs and flies and lice and like and then the, they were and then the gone. ocean opened. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And it's interesting to me too as you're reading it, because it's almost as if they're being reintroduced to God. Yeah. Oh, and who yeah. their God is and what a relationship with God is actually going to look like. And that's kind of where we go. They've come through the plagues, they've come through the Red Sea. Now they're on the other side and they're going to be this people, but what do God's people look like Yeah, and how do they act and what do they do? Like, what are the rules of the camp? And like we talked about in the week before Easter, you know, that they're like, oh, I've learned who the God of the plagues is. I've learned who the God of the Red Sea is. I've learned now who the God of the bitter waters is and the God of mm-hmm. war, like in our times of battle. And, and they're just really, really like figuring this out. And honestly, I was thinking this today that when Moses came to them, essentially Moses and the Lord said to this big group of people, um, trust us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> will you just trust us? And they did. And they walked out, you know, of, of this place. And they're living in this place of like figuring it out and still trusting at the same time. And, and frankly, like, I, like if I were them, you would start to think like, wait, wait a second. I trusted this God and now I've run into hunger and I've run into battle and I've run into bitter situations and I've run into, and, and you brought me into a desert, you yes, know, like and I'm hungry. Yeah. 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 You like, you brought like, it's just like, they're learning really what following this God is, is actually like, and they're learning like Joseph did that sometimes the path to the promised land is through the wilderness Yeah, and it is through you know, these types of experiences. And I love that part where you talk about just that trust us because that's actually really hard. Like trust this God who is so big, you know, and able to do really miraculous things, but also let you wander through the wilderness. Trust that, but then also trust the prophet who is going to kind of walk you through what the day to day looks like. And that's really hard. Yeah, and and trust a prophet who, yes, is human, but also endowed with spiritual gifts. Yeah, you know, to mediate and lead, and to like, and to work through that. You know, yeah, as part of this. So, um, that's a kind of a big ask when you think about all these people and and trying to move all together toward God. Yeah, and, Godward is what it's going to say in yeah. here. And the fact that it doesn't get better, you know, yes. right away, you know, yeah. like sometimes like people are thinking, like, okay, I will trust you. Now, why'd my life get worse? You yes. know, when yes. I trusted you, yes. you know, because I thought it should have gotten better. And it's just like, oh, okay. You just have not quite figured out the nature uh, of following this God. Yeah. And of the relationship. Yeah. That's what yeah. we're going to be talking about a lot today is the nature of this relationship and 
what it looks like. And there's so many really good lessons here that we're, we're going to dive into that are so applicable to our time. We Let's start put out, this on though oh, first. Do you want to do that? Yeah. This okay. is a, we're we're going to get to this like halfway or you know, a quarter of the way through this. The next little piece on here is um Mount Sinai. That's where he's going to take them to. So we have Passover picture right here. This is the Red Sea on your thing, the little ocean, and then he's going to take them interestingly um in the opposite direction of the promised land. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like what are you doing? Yes. You know, and he's going to take them down to that mountain in just in just a minute. But um, that's the next one. That and goes let's just on. talk about this for a minute. This is something that I will do with my seminary class, and you might want to do with your kids because this is the part where it's so important to stay caught up on who are the people and what has happened. So we had the creation. Adam and Eve came. Then we had Enoch. His city goes to heaven, Zion. And then the earth gets so yes, wicked. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering the other day. Do you think the whole city went up? Like the buildings yeah. and everything? Or what has your mind always thought over oh, the years? Okay, my mind thinks the whole city went up, but I don't know if that's true or I not. Know, and I, <laughs> like that's what my imagination wants to just be like, here's this whole thing. Yeah. Because you know they're going to all come back. Right. But like I've always thought it was just the people. And well, I was that's talking probably more true. But I was talking with Jenny and I was like, Oh, wait, you thought the whole, all the buildings went up too? And I was like, that's way funner. Yeah, Anyways, okay. it's way more fun. <laughs> then the world gets so wicked. Then we have Noah and his wife. And remember, they're almost like a new Adam and Eve because they restart. She becomes the mother of all creation again, um, besides who was in the ark. And they start everybody again. And then... We have Abraham who comes from this family. And I and think something has... that's going to be really important for today's story is the covenant that God makes with Abraham is you will be a great nation and I will use this family to take my rescue and to take the blessings of salvation to the rest of the world. They don't know how that's going to come about yet, but that now becomes the identity of the family of Abraham. Which is two people when it starts, right? It's just Abraham and his wife. That's, That's it. it. Right. And then it's going to move into Isaac. And then it's going to move to Jacob. And they have all these boys that we'll come um, back to in a minute. Um, but these boys are all Joseph's family who all come into Egypt because they don't have any food. And they live here. And in the beginning, Joseph is in charge of Egypt, but in the end, they become the slaves in Egypt. So that's where we are with Moses. Now these people have become the slaves. That's who's going through the plagues. It's all of the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. That's who's moving through all of this with Moses is this family line that we've been following. So the Hebrews or the children of Israel, you'll see them called both names. That's who we're following. And it's still this family that we learned about that's still going through. And what we're going to kind of discover today is almost God bringing them back to that original intention. Because for 400 years in slavery, they sort of lost a little bit of that identity of we are the family that is supposed to take the rescue of God to the rest of the world. You know, you just... When yeah. you're a slave in Egypt, you, you can't do that. Um, and so oh, I read this thing by, um, what, who's the member of the 12, the past member of the 12 wrote those books on the Bible? Mark, Marky Peterson. Is oh, that right? Is maybe. That, is that his name? Okay. I'm forgetting that his name. That is his name. Yeah. But I read this concept in one of his books, you know, that he wrote about Exodus that he just said, oh, that time in Egypt actually like solidified them together as mm. a, as a people, a family. they grew strong. And like, because they had an enemy, you know, it kind of like solidified them all together. Mm. And that time was like really important for their development because it's like, okay, we're together on this. Like we, we, we have a common cause together yeah. and maybe the common cause was survival and now God's about to give them another common cause. Yeah. You know, oh, that's together. so good. So I love what happens in chapter 18 is Moses goes back and starts telling Jethro, you are not going to believe what God did to us. Remember, Jethro is his father-in-law and um, he's going to tell them. And he didn't go to Egypt with Moses. Yeah he, yeah, he didn't go. So he comes back and he's like, let me tell you everything God did for Moses. 
and um, he's, when he hears, he's going to say, so I'm in verse one, 18, verse one, when Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses's father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses's father-in-law took Zipporah, Moses's wife, after he had sent her back and her two sons, and um, they're all going to come to Moses in the wilderness. So that everybody, there's like this big reunion. Everybody comes to Moses in the wilderness. Could <laughs> you imagine him walking up and he's like, hey, how was Egypt? You know, <laughs> yes. because that's all he knows. And he's like, you are going to die. Yeah. You will not even when believe. When you hear everything. And you love that it's in verse eight where, and Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. And I just, didn't you want to sit at that campfire? Yes. And listen as Moses is telling Jethro and you're like, wait, and then what? You know, can't you just imagine as he's telling all these stories and Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, it tells us. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods um, because he, he was above everything that you had to deal with. And so they're having this conversation. Which I think is a conversation that would, I'm just thinking about how often we have conversations like this, you know, where we get a chance to recount all the great things that God's yes. done, you know, for us. And I think those are important parts of our faith journey to yeah. have these Jethro type conversations where we're like, let, let me tell you, yeah. you know, and it's interesting that that conversation increases both of their trust and faith in God. And it's so good. In our family, we do this twice a year. Like we, it, we for sure do it twice a year. We do it more often, but no matter what at Christmas and at Easter, we all take a turn to go around the whole entire table. Where have you seen the Lord show up in your life? And it is our Red Sea moments. It's the you know, it's, it's those moments, the water coming out of the rock, things that were bitter becoming sweet again, finding that haven in the wilderness. Those are the things we are recounting when mm. we're together as a family. And I think it's important to make that part of our practice as you may have other things that you do. Like I know families who on every birthday, everyone goes around and says the one thing they love about the birthday person. And in our family, it's kind of like that, where there are just two times where we just sit back and and make note of what the Lord has done in our family. And I love that idea, that that's so important to create moments like that. Um, I love that um, something interesting happens here, and this is one of my favorite parts of chapter 18, is that Moses is doing the work of leading the people you just said one of my favorite parts, and people are going to wonder why it's not your most favorite. Because that's your normal line. <laughs> this is my favorite. <laughs> I have a couple favorite parts in 18, everybody. This is one of them. But I love that he watches Moses do his work, right? And, and then he finally says to Moses in verse 14, what is this thing that you are doing to the people? Why do you sit all alone? every day and the people come to you with their problems and yeah. questions and to and inquire issues. of God and you're judging this. And in verse 17, Jethro says to him, the thing that thou doest is not good. And the reason why he's concerned isn't because he doesn't think Moses is doing it right or that Moses isn't called of God or um, that Moses isn't the prophet. I love what his concern is in verse 18. You are going to wear away. That's what he tells him, both you and this people that is with thee, because this thing is too heavy for you. He says, you cannot pour, uh, perform it yourself alone. And this is what I love about this moment. I love that Jethro could enter into the situation and say to Moses, okay, tell me more about this thing that you're doing, how you are judging Israel and how all the people are coming to you. And this is what I'm worried about. I think it's too heavy for you. I'm worried you are going to wear away. And so he says in verse 19. And, and I feel like, like it, just as you were just barely saying that, like it just makes me think about those same kind of times when you, I don't know if it's like you feel like you have this responsibility, you know, as a yeah. parent, sometimes you're kind of like, 
oh my gosh, like all these kids are my job, like them becoming good citizens and holy people <laughs> yes. and, and just you know, eating and yes. all those things and or whatever the responsibility of life may be, like this comes to all of us where we're just like, I'm carrying something really, really And even heavy. a calling yeah. too, right? Where sometimes you are doing your best and you're trying to work it through with the Lord. But I love that a trusted person comes in, someone who he already has a relationship with and says, I'm worried about you in this. I think this is too heavy for you. And he's going to give that him some ideas. He says to him, hearken unto my voice and I will give you counsel, he says. And I love how humble he is because he says, I will give you counsel, but God will be with you. And um, be thou for the people to God word that thou mayest bring the cause to God. And there's a couple things I love. I, I want to pause before we dive into what he tells him to do. But I love that he's like, I want to give you some counsel, but I know God will be with you, right? He, he's not going to overstep what his bounds are, but he also is going to enter this situation and give some counsel in that moment to Moses, who is his son-in-law. Remember it, that he can come in and say, I'm worried about this for you and for your family. And it makes me think every time I read this, am I willing to accept Jethro moments in my life? Am I willing to allow someone to come in and say, I'm worried about you. I think this might be too heavy for you. And I want to give you some counsel from a place of love that I know you will take to God and figure it out. But are we the type of person that is willing to let a, a parent or an in-law or <laughs> someone else come in and say, I, I would like to give you some counsel. That's really hard. Oh, I was just thinking about a time when I was in high school and my, the first assistant in my preschool, I was like 16 or 17, you know, um, stopped me in one of the hallways at school. And he actually said like, Hey, I'm a little bit worried about you, you know? And he just kind of said like, here's some of the things that I've heard and kind of some of the things that I've noticed. And I immediately took offense mm. to it. You know, I immediately like drew back and I was like, you're trying to, and it's so funny that how many memories you have from high school, like yeah. 10 total, yes. you know, but that's one of them yes. where I was like, and it took me a little bit to, to settle into that. And so it's actually really impressive to me to see how Moses does respond in a way that you're saying where it's just like, oh, okay. You know, but that is hard. It's have, so hard. To take that and, and not feel accused and not feel like. Someone yeah. feels like they're better at well, it. Or, or two, uh, you uh, you don't have any idea. You're not doing it, you yeah, know? Yeah, that Where yeah, you want to be like, don't try and come in and tell me how to do something that you haven't even been here for the last how many months. You just showed up and now you want to tell me I'm not doing this, right? Like there's so many places he could have gone. But I love that we learn about Moses. He's the type that wants to sit down and counsel and brainstorm. And, oh, okay, do you have an idea that might make this better? Cause I'm going to listen to that and think it through. And I love that idea of being that kind of person. We, we left you this box right at the top of the journal that just says, is it too heavy for you? And, um, writing down where is a place that maybe is too heavy right now? And who could you look to for a counsel or for a brainstorm or, or to sit down and just say, could we talk through this thing and just see if you might have any ideas that then I could pray about, that then I could mm. think through. Those are my favorite kind of conversations. I love those conversations when you gather with a group and you're like, okay, this is the thing I'm trying to figure out. Everybody give your opinion. Um, I like to call them Disneyland brainstorms because at Disneyland, there's a rule that no one can say why it won't work at the first brainstorm of anything is what I've heard. I don't even know if that's true, but that is what I've heard. And I love the idea of that, that the first brainstorm about something is you just gather people and you're like, how could we be better? How could I be better? What could we be doing better? And you never give a reason or a no or a but or an accept. You just write down all the things and it feels like that is what happened here. And the motivation of Jethro coming in, I think is really sweet that it's like, I'm just really worried about you personally. And I'm also worried about all the people like, 
this is going to cause all of you to wear out eventually. And, and we don't want that. Yeah. You know, so can we think, and it's not about like preferences. It was about like, oh, this, it really is too heavy for yeah. you and them for this to happen. So let's think it through. Let's think it through. And I love his idea. We're going to get into his, um, what his idea is in chapter 18, 20 through 23. He's going to lay out this plan of what is going to happen there. And I love what the plan looks like for them, but I also love what the plan looks like for us. Okay, so if you go into 20, he just starts giving this list. And he says, one, you're to teach them the ordinances and the laws. And number two, show them the way that they must walk and the work that they must do. Um, those would also be like great advice for Moses, right? He's like, I want you to share with them the ordinances and the laws, and I want you to show them the way. But someone could really easily give me that same advice and be like, have you considered like what God's already revealed, the ordinances and laws? And are you walking in that way? That would be a good way to, to start because there are things he already has. We don't need yeah. new advice yet. You know, there's mm -hmm. ways that he's already taught us. Then in 21, he says this, then you will provide out of all the people, able men that fear God, men of truth that hate covetousness or bribes is another way to say that and, and place over them to be rulers of thousands. And then you're going to have rulers of hundreds and rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. Kind of like the way last year we saw that the camp of Israel was designed and they called themselves the camp of Israel because they were sort of patterning themselves after, after this, this original camp of Israel and set up this, this system that's there. Um, which is awesome because it's just like, oh, look, get some people who can help and organize a way to minister and, and, and help deal with this in, in just a smart, practical way. But there's that word that's so neat in 21 where he says, provide out of all the people. That comes from a Hebrew word that also could mean to perceive, um, to look at the situation and try and perceive what it is that God sees in these people. Try to see what gifts each of these different individual people have. And uh, what's a nice way to say capitalize on that? <laughs> you know, like someone else's gifts, but yeah. to like embrace the gifts that other people have that you might not particularly. Mm -hmm. Well, and the thing I love about that is when you think about it, when he's saying you need someone to watch over a thousand in our time, that'd be a stake president. You need someone to watch over hundreds in our time. That would be a bishop. You need someone to watch over fifties. And, you know, you see, you come down into the church family. Hundreds um, would also be a stake relief society president or a stake young women's president, right? That are going to oversee at that level. And in the fifties, you're going to have the primary president and the relief society president, right? Where he's like, look out all over the people. And he doesn't just be like, and then just provide, like, just don't just like do this. He's like, perceive in them. Who's going to be really good at leading 50 and who's going to be really good at leading hundreds. And we talk, when we talk about leading thousands, who will sit in at that level and be able to brainstorm and counsel together. And I, I love that it was good. He wanted Moses to perceive or to see what God saw as he started calling or setting apart or choosing those people is so interesting to me. Yeah. And, and as you were talking about that, I just kind of thought of like that some people will meet President Nelson and, and, and they'll meet him and he'll be introduced as this is somebody who leads, you know, 16, 17 million people or, yeah. or something like that. But in reality, when he says that, it's like, oh, but if you could see the system that the Lord has, has set up for that to happen, it's yeah. pretty extraordinary. Yeah. You know? So then in 21, where it says, I lied, 22, and then he says, and let them now um, take responsibility um, at all seasons and kind of divide up the work among you. And for number four, we wrote to sh then share the burden, right? Share the responsibility of, of leading and instructing and, and building up these people spiritually. And then at the end of that verse, it says, I mean, in 23, if you'll do this thing, and God command thee so, um, which is back again to what you were saying at the beginning, where Jethro's like, here's my advice, but you should ask God if it's good advice, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, which um, I love the humility in Jethro too. Right. Like there's, Jethro doesn't come in and he's like, this is how it needs to be done. I can see the problem. This is how you should fix it. I love that he's so humble too. And like, go ask God if this is a good idea. I feel like this is a good idea, yeah, but I yeah. trust you to ask God. And if God says it's not a good idea, I think Jethro would have been fine. Yeah. But then find another one. Yeah. Who knows what he <laughs> yes. might say? Is if, if it's not this, yeah. ask for another one. But that twenty-three just says, "And then thou shalt be, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace." Right. Um, that fifth principle we put is that idea of to let God guide you in this enduring. Right. You're not going to be able to make it unless you let God guide you through this. And it'd be good. Let's list the five things off again, because they're the five things Jethro says to Moses. But as we look in our own life, it's a really good place to just check in and think. So the first was teach the ordinances and the laws. The second was show them the way and the work. And that's true in our life too, right? We should check in. How are we doing with the ordinances and the laws? And what does our way and our work look like? Like, are we walking the kingdom path? Are we working to build the kingdom, um, perceive in them what God sees. And I just like to think, am I doing that with everyone who I work with? That's number three. Number four is share the burden. And then number five is let God guide you to endure in peace, which is just, it's a good perspective. And, um, we read in 1819, hearken now unto my voice. Jethro says, I will give thee counsel and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward. And we just put a little spot right under where it says the Jethro perspective, living, and then there's a blank, and you could just write in there Godward. This is what it looks like to live Godward, to be focused towards God. And we loved that thought. And we put a little box right here to just ask, who is your Jethro in your life? Who is the person that checks in on you, that makes sure things aren't too heavy for you, that will come to you with ideas or suggestions or counsel and is humble in what they bring to you, but also kind of requires you to step up just a little bit. Who is that friend who just kind of checks with you? How are you doing on ordinances and laws and the way you're walking and, um, shares the burden with you and encourages you to take everything you're doing to God who is your Jethro? That just is such a good question to think about. And as we get into this next section, I love thinking about with that one. And what is their intention? You mm. know, that like for me, when I was in high school, that experience, it was really good for me to step back and think to myself, what was his motivation and what was his intention in saying what he did? And as we get into this next section, God shares with this camp of Israel, with the children of Israel, what his intentions for all of them are. He's like, let's just lay this out and set this. We've kind of had a wild beginning to our like uh, relationship with each other. Um, but I want to set this out. And where they go is to the very mountain where uh, Moses first encountered God in that flaming burning bush when he was called. Moses comes back to this place, which I think is kind of cool that Moses comes back. Like now we're out. And so your question is now what? And it's awesome that Moses goes back to his holy mountain to say, okay, what next? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so he goes to this place and something really, really powerful happens in chapter 19. And it sets up what um, I've heard somebody call before. What did they call it? Uh, the order of grace. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm so intrigued by that. And how important it is to get this order correct that the Lord gives them. So in section 19, uh, chapter 19, all of a sudden we are <laughs> we back the a year. <laughs> they come to this mountain in verse 3. And the Lord says to Moses, Say this to the children of Israel. First, verse four, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Five, now, therefore, because of four, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then three, you will become a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the, 
the order of grace here that he sets up is first, remember, I saved you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. Um, eagle's wings is like um, when an eagle carries its little, what do you call eaglets, eaglings, whatever, whatever they're called, little baby eagles, right? They just jump on the mother eagle's back. And that's what the imagery is. I flew you out. I carried you. I saved you and I delivered you. Now, I am asking you to obey me. And if you obey me, then I will bless you in in greater measure and help you to become a peculiar treasure, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests and, and priestesses. That is my intention for you. That's what I'm trying to do. But he starts off by reminding them, I already saved you. Like I already set you free and I already rescued you. So now will you obey? And if we get the order of that wrong, yes. that's where we get into a lot of problems. Yep. If we think, oh, I need to obey in order to be saved, right? Then we get into like, oh, then our obedience is conditional and it just creates a really strange relationship with God. But he sets up the order to be like, I already saved you and I already set you free. Now I have an intention to do something greater with you. So if you will obey my voice, you can trust me because remember what I already did, right? If you obey my voice, then you will receive these exalting, powerful blessings that are, are coming into you. And, and sometimes it helps when you look at that order to think that there are two parts of grace. And this is why I think it sometimes gets confusing in how we talk about it. There is the saving grace, the grace that saves, it heals wounds, right? It delivers, it rescues. What he says to them is, I have, I have already saved you. I've already delivered you. That's saving grace. But there is another grace that exalts or elevates. There's an, there's an elevating and transforming grace that exalts us. And that exalting grace actually helps us to become something. And the saving grace helps us to overcome sin and death. Exalting grace helps us to become like him. That's what we're trying to do. And so I love that what he's saying is I already saved and delivered you, right? That happened on the cross. Now I'm giving you an invitation to participate in exalting grace. That's going to make you become something. And that's going to require obeying and keeping a covenant relationship. And then you will become, sometimes they use the word peculiar. Sometimes they use the word chosen. Um, that's, that's what you are going to become to me. And that's the next step in the process. Yeah, and, and what is it, like I was gonna say as part of that, what his intentions are. Uh, priests and priestesses mediate between God and people. And he was like, that's what I need you to be to the rest of the world. Yeah. I need, I'm, I'm calling you to live out what I promised to Abraham you would live out. Mm. But in order to do that, I need you to obey me. I need to teach you how to live out that commission and how to live out that, that privilege. I, I just think when you see that, like, this is like, this section of scripture is maybe the greatest object lesson for yeah. the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Where it's like, we were under the penalty of slavery and death and right. God and set us free. And that was overcome with the cross. I know. And it's so funny because I was talking about Egypt, but do you hear at the yes. same time I was actually yes. talking about us? Yes. Like I was under the penalty of yeah. slavery and death and then... Someone set me free. And delivered me. Got me out. And then the second part says, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, all of a sudden now you hear temple language, right? So you've got a, a grace that takes place because of this and a grace that takes place through covenant and ordinances. Both of those things are going to be needed in a life. And, and that's going to be laid out right here. We're going to watch that happen because God's going to say at the top of this journal, he's going to teach us how to live peculiar is what you want to write right there or live as the chosen people or live as the covenant people, right? You are going to become a covenant people. That's going to require obeying and keeping 
covenants. And then we become that treasure. So let's talk about for a minute, what does it look like to live peculiar? And there's three places we're going to go to here. In chapter 19, the first thing he says to Moses in verse 10, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Okay, this sanctification process for them is going to be this two-day process because they're preparing to meet with the Lord. Um, uh, we're hinted at what it is with that, have them wash their clothes, right? It's a becoming clean is sanctification. Setting apart yourself as holy would be sanctification. In Joshua, we're going to see the same thing happen again. And when you look up sanctification in Joshua at the footnote, it talks about, it also has to do with holy rituals that sanctify you. So this is going to be a process that you go through for them two days for this circumstance, but really sanctification takes place every day of our life. It's the holy rhythms. It's the ritual behaviors that are making us to become holy. That's the first thing. You, and, you have and, to learn how to sanctify. And I was just thinking, you know, coming off of Easter, like we, that's a natural part of living. Like that's like human nature to say like, let, we're going to do certain things to set aside this particular day. Like we're going mm. to treat it special. And it's like, so we do like we, we decorate different and we cook different and we like listen to different yeah. kind of things, you know, to prepare for, for something. The for yeah. the holy day, the right. holiday, for right. the holy day. Exactly. And so he's like, we're about, you're about to experience something different and something elevated. And so do things that will set it apart for you. Which is true for our Sabbath. Right. It's true for when we go to sacrament meeting, we dress differently. We, we elevate ourselves to enter into that covenant situation and the same with the temple. We're going to dress differently. We're going to prepare differently to go into that holy place. And even like, uh, we've given too many examples of this, but then one of the greatest examples of our relationship with God throughout scripture is a marriage relationship. Mm. And think of what somebody does to set that particular day aside. Yes. Where it's like, we're, you're about to start a union that is really, really important. And so we are going to like do all of these different things in order to like elevate and set apart and, and make that moment like really powerful and yeah, memorable. I love that. Um, then in 1912, he says, the next thing you're going to do is set bounds unto the people round about. Now, this is so important for our day, for our time period, because we get in a lot of conversations of if God's love is so big, can he set bounds mm. for us, right? I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who said, I want to believe in a God who loves regardless. And I was like, oh, we do believe in a God who loves regardless. And like, that would be true about us. And as we were talking, she was like, I'm just having a hard time with that because I don't know if, if we, our religion believes in a God who loves regardless. And I was like, oh no, you can be confident that we believe in a God who loves regardless. Mm -hmm. And as we were talking about it, I started, then I said to her, can a God who loves regardless set expectations? Do you think that's true? And it was interesting because she was like, I need to, I need to think about that for a minute and see if I think that could be true. And it made me step back from the God relationship and just think, okay, in my own relationships, in a covenant relationship where I love Greg, I covenanted to love Greg. I love Greg with my whole heart, but I have expectations for Greg and Greg has expectations for me. We, we both have what we expect that the other person will do and fulfill for the relationship. And if you were to go outside of those, what would happen to the relationship? Yeah, it would it destroy would crumble, the relationship. Right, right. There are bounds set that we live within because of the covenant relationship that we have. That doesn't mean we don't love each other or that we love each other less. It actually means we love each other more for the fact that I'm like, I love you so much that I want to set boundaries with you that I'm not willing to actually set with anyone else. Yeah. But I will set them 
with you, right? And with God, like, I mean, it just is, needs to be seen as a, a manifestation of that same kind of love. We're yeah. just like, I'm setting bounds because it's the, like, if I didn't, you would ruin yourselves. You would ruin this, like, privileged, rela- yeah. like, you just, like, you wouldn't be able to enjoy what I want you to enjoy without those bounds. Yeah, and the bounds almost become a privilege of living within that relationship, right? It's the way I honor Greg is by living within those bounds. And it's the way Greg honors me is by living within those bounds. And I love the thought of that. So that's number two. Um, And setting those boundaries, like here for them, he set bounds where they could go or go not, what they could touch or touch not. He set the bounds for them to prepare them to enter into this covenant um, in verse 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, right? He, he brought them out of the casual place, out of the comfortable place. He brought them out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And then this covenant is going to come. And um, we love the moment when Moses goes to meet the Lord. It says in verse 20, and the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mount. And we love that, that God comes down, right? He meets us where we are. He comes into our story. But then something important happens. The Lord called Moses up to the mount. And the thing that is so interesting, I think about verse 20 is Moses had a choice the same way we all do. Do you want to sanctify yourself, accept the bounds and enter into the covenant or, or not, right? Like he's going to give you the opportunity to with his conditions that come with that covenant. But we get to decide. And, and my favorite part of verse 20 is those last four words. And Moses went up. Yeah. And I think we should say, coming back to that conversation you have with your friend, God could say, and I love you regardless of whether you do or not. Right. Yes. But in order to experience this relationship on a more exalted plane, that yeah, greater privilege, the, yeah. greater right. access. Right. It, would, it just needs to be like this. These are these are the conditions of all relationships. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, when he actually in the next chapter gives the law, we'll see this this bottom part of the of the journal here is kind of just like, okay, he set this up in chapter 19. He's taught his intentions. He's taught the order of, of that grace. And now the invitation is going to be, um, extended here. So we have these three sections where we kind of are going to like analyze and, uh, what, what do you want to say? Just look at this a little bit closer. Yeah, well, and talk about what a covenant relationship looks like. And I think as we go into it, Let's start with where we're going to end, because I think it's so interesting in chapter 20, verse two, the very first thing he says to them is, I am the Lord, thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. The 10 commandments are about to come, but I love that what God leads with is, let me just remind you who I am. I am the one who saved you, who delivered you. Like, it's almost as if he's like, let me remind you how much I love you. Yeah. Before we even enter into this, that, that he starts, he leads with love. That's what he does. And I think in our time, it's important to talk about what is that love? Sometimes we get confused. Um, we use a word that is actually not found anywhere in scripture. And that word is unconditional love. That's actually not, not found in scripture anywhere. That definition of love. A better word for unconditional would be unfailing. Um, He has unfailing love. Or I love when my friend said he loves regardless, right? He has unfailing love, but he does still have conditions on the relationship. And I, I like to think like in my house, we have had a lot of boys come and live in our home. And I love every one of those boys. I love those boys. Um, I loved them before they ever even walked in our door. And they're boys my husband has coached them. They've been p- close 
um, in close relationship with our family. I love those boys. But when those boys move into our home, we set conditions of what it looks like to live in our home. And those conditions are you have to go to church. You are not allowed to use drugs in our home. Um, you know, I talk a lot about when Garrett came that I was like, you have to get rid of all your old friends, right? There were conditions. Now, all of those boys, we told them, you don't have to live like this. Like, if this is not how you want to live, we will help you find somewhere else to live. But these are the conditions of this house. And Greg and I have conditions in our marriage, right? We, we have conditions. There are things that we have sat down together and said, it will not work for me if you live like this. Mm. It won't work for this relationship if you choose to live like this. And, and Greg has said the same to me. There are just certain conditions upon our relationship. It doesn't mean we love each other less, but there are expectations. And I think it's important to remember that a God who has unfailing love, right? It tells us in the scriptures, charity never faileth. His pure love is unfailing. That is true. No matter what, you can't separate yourself from, from the love of God. Right, Romans, you can't, right? Yeah, you can't. And how big is it? Ephesians, you, we can't even imagine the height, depth, or any of that love. It is that big. And I love that he leads with that. He's like, let, let me lead with how big my love is. It is unfailing love. But let me also now in verse three, start listing the expectations or the conditions of a covenant relationship. Yeah. And, and so this is that middle section. So over on the right, the fill in the blanks here, we've got on the right covenant privilege. Well, I wonder if you should do Just this come first. back over here. Okay. Come yeah. all the way to the left and then watch how this all fits together. Now, um, isn't that cool how in 19 and 20, he gives that order of grace? Yes. Like it's both in both places. Yeah. And this is the most significant entering into a covenant moment that there is, you know, um, well, maybe not the most significant, but one of the most, yeah. right? So on the left, you have something that we call covenant relationship. Um, this first got introduced in Genesis 15. You can go back to that video and watch that if With you want. With Abraham. Yeah, just a reminder there. But in a covenant relationship, here's the fill in the blanks. There are expectations and privileges. That's how all covenant relationships work. Casual relationships, consumer relationships don't necessarily work like that. Right. But in this kind of relationship, there are there are expectations and privileges, as you were talking about with your relationship with Greg and others. This middle section is the covenant expectation. And this is where the Lord sets out. This is the expectations I have for our covenant relationship with each other um, called the 10 words or the 10 commandments here. And you have a spot to, to list those. Um, Do you want to tell them why there's only five? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh no, you, I only actually believe in five of them. I picked my five favorite and that's where I, that's where I went from there. Um, I, the first four, if you, you can kind of see this on the board a little bit, you can break up the commandments kind of into right relationship with God and then right relationship with the covenant community, right? They kind of like, and our relationship with God is so dependent on like the way we live with each other yeah. too. So they're both are important. So the first four are the first four in here, starting in three, have no other gods before me, no graven images, which was really, really popular in their time. So it makes sense that it was an expectation of, of their day. Well, and ours too, yeah, because in graven images way, become right. what do you worship more than God? It, right. it could be for some people, a car, it could be a house, it could be football or a sport. It, right. what, what would you put before God that becomes a graven image? Don't take my name in vain and keep a holy day, right? Um, these and are let's gonna... talk about that don't keep my name in vain for a minute because I think this is so important. In my generation, in my like teenage years, I thought that meant don't swear. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain meant you, you just don't swear. You don't ever say Heavenly Father's name or Jesus's name in a swear word, which applies in a small portion here. But we actually take the name of the Lord every Sunday. Mm. We take upon us the name of the Lord when we go through the temple. And I think the bigger lesson here is when I take his name every Sunday, 
Am I doing that in vain or am I really going to live up to the covenant that I have made? And when I go through the temple and I take his name, am I going to live the expectation or the condition of that covenant or am I taking that name in vain? Yeah. and, And some might say like in the same kind of sense as you were saying earlier, don't take this marriage in vain. Like don't be in marriage in name only. Yeah. Like actually, if you're going to promise it and if you're going to live it, then yeah, then, then live up then to the condition it. and the expectation of the thing you promised when you took the name. Right. When I took Greg's name, I there's going to be expectations and conditions in that relationship. When we take Christ's name, there will be expectation and condition in that relationship. And let's just remind everybody and think through this and say, and one of the expectations is not to do this perfectly. Yes, it does. So the, one of the conditions or expectations is never make a mistake. Yeah, and we're reminded, grace. we're reminded every week, you know, am I striving to do this? Do I have the intention to do this? Yeah. Am, am I, I every am I willing, day better? Am I willing to take that name yeah. upon me? You know, um, and then number four, that reminder of holiness, that reminder mm-hmm. of setting yourself apart in sanctification. Those four are really important in order to have a right relationship with God. And then number five is, is that right relationship with community. And we lumped five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 all together in, in that, that path to becoming. Do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet. Honor your father and your mother. I put those in the most whatever order I wanted, but <laughs> right, those are what the ones that are there. Those are the expectations. And as you were talking about, like that, you and Greg have expectations for bounds that you set. Something else is also interesting when you enter into a relationship with someone. When you fall in love with someone, you actually seek to know what will please them mm, and what, so good. and, and what will make them happy. You're like, I mm-hmm. learned Jenny's favorite flowers. I learned the things that she likes me to do. And that's because I love her. And so I actually want to, in, in a, in biblical language, I seek her will. I want to know what she wants, yeah. you know, from me. And so when you love God, you then naturally next say like, okay, what would make you happy? When you realize what he's done for you, you know, you're just like, wait, I, now I want to live obediently to you because of what you've done for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and if you miss that order, if you mess up that order, see, there's a lot of people who live with it out of order and they say, if I obey, then God will save me. Right. Yeah. And instead of he saved me and so I will obey. Yeah. Right. But if I, both of those two groups of people, if you observe their life from the outside, they would both be keeping the 10 commandments. Yes. Right. You would see that in both of them. But this person over here, who's got the order correctly would say, Oh, I I'm living out those commandments because of my love. Well, and I'm living out those commandments because of the promise of what I might become. Right. It's a path to become right. You know, or the other side would say fear. I'm living in either in fear like he's going to punish me or self-centered because I want something from him. And, right. And, and it s- becomes a list of restrictions rather than a, a path of becoming right. something. Right. Right. So those are the expectations. This is his will. This is how we live in this one. And then in this third column, the blank that we have there is the idea of then the covenant privilege, right? That we saw that pattern where he says, I have already delivered or saved you. 20 verse two, back in 19 also. I've, I've already done that. You've already been set free. What I'm trying to do is you find the word in verse 20. 20. I'm trying to prove you or exalt you. He says, this was the proof of my love. Egypt, eagle's wings out through the river. You did nothing. The river. All of a sudden the Red Sea was a river. Okay. Really, really big river, right? I proved my love. I'm giving you a chance to prove yours. You are treasured to me. I'm calling you into a relationship where I can become a treasure um, to you. Um, but to what end it's to exalt you. I've already saved and delivered you. Now I'm actually trying to get Egypt out of you, get sin out of you, Mm -hmm. get, get rebellion out of you and help you to become 
um, something even more. I, just be, I mean, this just isn't every relationship. Yeah. The more my impurities and like selfishness can be rooted out, the richer that relationship actually is. And I think it is peculiar in our time. Like as I'm listening to you talk, I'm like, the the hard thing is this is a really peculiar way of living. This is actually different than what we are hearing right now socially. What we are hearing right now socially is do what you need. Look to yourself first. Um, look at your personal authority. Look at your, what your, you're not responsible for other people's happiness. And there is something about like taking care of you, but it's not, it's not the only way of living in right relationship. And there is also something about like, I do want to make Greg happy. I, I try and make his favorite dinner. I know he likes to get in bed at 930, even if I'm still going a thousand miles an hour. I honor that in Greg. You know, I know what his favorite treats are. Sometimes I'll bring home something that I'm like, oh, he's going to love this. Or sometimes I'll do the thing I do not want to do because Greg loves that thing. And there is something about actually making other people happy, being a part of creating their happiness. That's serving. That's loving. Well, that's being in right relationship. And there needs to be a balance between self and other there. There needs to be that balance in self and selflessness that I think we're losing in our time. And same with God, we are growing up in a, an arena where people want to say God, God's love should make it so there is no expectation on me. And that just is not biblically true. And, and it just doesn't make any sense. Like God's love should actually demand an expectation. Like I, I, I don't actually want to believe in a God who doesn't care what I do. Yeah. Like or I, what you become. Right. I want him to like... I, Jethro steps into Moses' life because he says, I see that you're going to wear out. I want a God oh, who's I like that I actually love also. that, which I hadn't connected. But the fact that these two stories are right, right next to yeah. each other. Do you see how Jethro as a father looks at Moses and says, you're going to wear yourself out. This is going to be too heavy for you. Let me help you come up with some counsel that will allow you to become better at what you're doing. And what Isn't if, what that if, what God is doing right here right, in 19 right. and 20, where he's like, this is going to be too heavy for you. Let me sit down and counsel with you and give you something that will help you to become better than who you are right now. Yeah. And what if Moses had responded to Jethro and been like, you hate me just because you're like, <laughs> you have all, like if you loved me, you would just let me do things the way I want to do them. Yes. You know what he's like? No, actually that wouldn't be love to watch you destroy yourself. And the rest of this people, that would not be very loving at all yeah. for me to like step back and just watch it happen, especially if I have a different perspective where, where I can see that. And, and we see that sometimes with God too, like with us when we're just like where he's today to attend a temple, he has set certain bounds, yeah. you know, and we would say like, oh, well, that's not very loving for you to do something like that. And he's mm -hmm. like, no, 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 no. In order to enjoy becoming a kingdom of priests and priestesses to live out that great cause. These are the bounds that have to be in set in, in order to do that. Mm. I love you whether you want to live that out or not. But if you do, I actually can show you how to do that. I mm. can show you how to become that if, if you'll, if you'll let me, Yeah. right? You're not, we're not obeying to earn his love or to earn that salvation. That's not the order of grace. I already saved you now if you will obey and live out in that love and salvation, right? Live out in that kind of, that's, that's all yeah. that they are, right? It's a chance to like yes. show our gratitude for what he's already done and live in that treasured relationship. He's like, then I will even bless you even greater. more. Yeah, yeah. In greater ways. Which I love the thought of that. And it, it requires like leaning into and sitting with, because it is not the language of our culture hmm. is not this, um, Covenant relationship, covenant expectation, and covenant privilege is not what is common in the place that we live in today. But as we lean into it and pray to understand better and look Godward, 
the spirit will tutor us in how do we do this well? And what does relationship look like and right relationship with God look like? And I just think to myself, let us be humble enough to be able to take that counsel and grow up in that. Yeah, to just trust, right? God says, and Moses said at the beginning when they left, can you just trust us? And it's still the call. Yeah. It's still the call. Just can you trust me? Yeah. You know, with so these good. things. All so, right. We'll so see you next week. Yeah. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.